The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to continue a consideration of a topical survey of a First John, and Lord willing, what we're hoping to do is make our way to the Gospel of John and go through that in an expository way, verse by verse. But sometimes when you go through that, especially something that will most likely be as extensive as the Gospel of John, and we drill down into, into the individual verses, uh, sometimes we lose sight of the overall big picture and overall themes. And I really enjoy 1 John as almost an exposition of the themes that are presented in the Gospel of John. And we hope to highlight some of those, uh, those themes. And we've considered life, we've considered light, and this evening we would like to look at love. Look at love. And as I was studying this out, I've been trying to present some verses in the Gospel of John that present this topic, and then shifting to 1 John to expound on that a little bit further. Uh, but the verses in the Gospel of John are just so rich. I do not want to uh, quickly go over them. Uh, we want to focus on those this evening and probably won't make our way to, to the corresponding 1 John verses until next time. So uh, this, this evening we would like to just meditate on God's love. And what a good happy topic, amen? amen. To just meditate on the, the love of God toward wretched sinners such as us. And God is characterized by love. 1 John chapter 4 and in verse 8. <clears throat> we'll just start reading in verse 7, actually. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. And I believe that we could make a strong case that that, that is one of God's, if not the defining attribute of God. I mean, I'm thankful that God's holy and he's just and praise God that he is. But aren't you glad that we live in the New Testament kingdom where we can know that God is love instead of only the only picture of God that you have of being Mount Sinai, right? Where you have this, this thunder uh, where uh, it says in Hebrews that if you have thunder and lightnings and if you get too close to it, you're going to get killed. I mean, I mean, God's holy. God's powerful. He's sovereign, right? But aren't you glad that he lets us in in the, in the New Testament that he is a loving Heavenly Father and our loving elder brother? And there's just no more happy topic than to meditate on the everlasting love of God, right? Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And uh, that's speaking of the new birth. But what is the initiator of the new birth? It's the everlasting love of God, right? That he loved us before the world began. For God is love. Verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. <clears throat> Herein is love, not that we love God, 
Not that we chose God. Not that we lived to get enough life to be acceptable in God's sight. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So now let's go to the Gospel of John and verse, uh, Gospel of John chapter 3, and we'll find a very similar verse. And this is John 3.16, the most well-known verse in, in all of Christianity. And sometimes, I think, uh, as primitive Baptists are often uh, guilty of, we spend so much time talking about uh, what verses are not. We don't uh, describe what verses are. And, and I think sometimes we concede John's 3.16 to the rest of Christianity. Well, I want you to understand, this is a primitive Baptist verse. <laughs> and what, you, what we don't have to do is read this verse and tell everybody everything it doesn't mean. And God don't love everybody. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and you know what? That, that's a truth, right? I mean, God, God chose a group of people before the world began. He didn't choose everybody and he didn't offer salvation to everybody. But Lord forbid we ever... Uh, begin an exposition or, or a sermon on John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Now understand, he don't love everybody. <laughs> you know, we, we just present things wrong all the time, yeah. right? Uh, we we want to tell everybody about everything we don't do. We don't have the musical instruments. We don't have uh, seminaries. We don't have uh, Sunday school. I'll tell you what we do have. We have the scriptural pattern of practice. We have the yeah. scriptural pattern of raising up ministers. And if people understand the, the discriminating love of God, and I, I don't have a problem using that language. God's love is discriminating. And guess what? Your love is discriminating too. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that, that it's a discriminating love, that you choose to set a, a special affection upon someone as your wife. Or your husband, that, that's a discriminating love that I choose to bestow my love upon someone in a special way. And guess what? You leave everybody else exactly where they're at. And that's what yeah. God did. All of mankind was in a wretched, fallen condition, depraved in sin. And God saw fit to choose a people to love and he left everybody else exactly where they were at. Condemned before God. For God so loved the world. I love that little bitty so. I love that little bitty so. God loved the world and praise God that he loved his people out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. And I think we've spent enough time at Macedonia and on the radio and other places giving you an exposition of John chapter 3 and verse 16. That's the world without distinction. Not the world without exception, but the world without distinction. He's talking to a Jew who, think God, who thought God only loved Jews, and he just had his mind blown. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that when, he was, uh, when you've been reading this, but Nicodemus' mind was blown when he said, Well, guess what? you telling me that God loves somebody other than Jews? Well, Nicodemus should have been reading the Old Testament where he told him so many times that the Gentiles were going to be grafted in. And then we have that beautiful depiction of the uh, entire innumerable elect family of God out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, right? <clears throat> For God so loved the world. <clears throat> he says, don't turn here, but I want to read this. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold, what manner of love 
the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What manner of love, and I think that goes right into that little two-letter word, two-letter word. So, for God so loved the world. I mean, the magnitude of God's love. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's talking about the, the dead in sin state that we were in. We used to walk according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and you have us in that, in that just wretched, deplorable, dead condition. But then it says, but God, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, right? And then it goes on in the third chapter of Ephesians that we can understand, and that's Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, in the, and it's the prayer for every ministry. If we could just in some way, in our ministry, in our sermons, if we can in some way allow you to have a greater understanding of God's love towards you. That was, that was Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. I want you to be able to comprehend. Now, he doesn't put this in parentheses, but it's there. Be able to comprehend. Parentheses, you can't comprehend it. But I want you to understand better the magnitude of the depth and the length and the breadth and the height, the magnitude of God's love towards you. Because when you begin to understand more the magnitude of God's love towards you, then the magnitude of love that you show to others begins to expound exponentially when you understand the magnitude of God's love toward us. Um, I don't know if I can find this quickly. Um, Luke chapter... Seven. This is a lady that is uh, washing Jesus' feet. And you have, he's in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And, and he is condemning Jesus. If you, if you knew who this really was, then you would not allow her within 10 feet of you. I can't believe you're allowing her to, to touch your feet. And then he gives, gives him... This, uh, this parable of two, of two debtors, one of them owed 500 pence and the other one owed 50. Which do you think is going to love the person that forgave them that debt more? And he said, well, I guess it's the one that he forgave the most to. And then he goes on to say in summarizing this in verse 47 of Luke chapter 7. Now, remember, the question was, which do you think is going to love the master more? And he says in verse 47, Wherefore I say unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And that's why you really have to understand the magnitude of your sins before you can understand the magnitude of God's love toward you. You have to understand what we've been forgiven from before you can really understand that four-dimensional love of God. And I hope the Holy Spirit has allowed you to see who you are in your nature. So you, can, so you can understand, and I, and I hope that you haven't committed external egregious actions, and, and it, we are just as guilty before God if we lust in our heart toward a woman as we commit the external action of adultery, but if you commit that external action, you have so many more ramifications that, that you will have to deal with and consequences of that. But understand, I hope you haven't committed all of those external egregious actions. I hope that 
for the most part, you've lived a, a good life prior to your, to your regeneration. But at the same time, understand, all of us are wretched sinners before God. And we have to understand how much we've been forgiven for. And it, when you understand that, when you really understand total depravity and who we are in our nature, then the magnitude of God's love just overwhelms Amen. you. It overwhelms you. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in, in the, one of the Corinthian letters, the love of God constrains us. It, it compels us to service. It compels us to action. And why does it compel us? It's because of the magnitude of debt that we have been forgiven of, right? Because we, we want to love Christ more fervently because of the magnitude of love that we have been forgiven, uh, of death that we have been forgiven from. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world. He so loved His people, out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue, that He gave His only begotten Son. I mean, the closest that we can get to that is Abraham that had to wait 25 years for Isaac. And, I, and I've heard many preachers say, and we don't have a child ourselves, but I, I'm sure I would say the same thing if we're blessed to have a child. There is no way. I, I feel like that I would give my life for people that I love. I feel like I would, if it was in the right situation and I was full of the Holy Spirit, I, I hope I'd give my life for all of y'all. But I don't think that I would give the life of my only begotten son, even for good people. This is where it gets down to the, the rubber meets the road in Romans chapter 5. It's not just that God gave his son for good people, because for a good man, some might even dare to die. For a righteous man, well, maybe I might. But it's while we were yet enemies toward God. It's when we were sinners. It's when we were in wretched condition. And there's no one in a natural sense, if we're being realistic, that would ever give their natural child for the life of probably even a close friend. Right. But you sure enough wouldn't give it for your worst enemy. And think about who we were. There's none that do with good. No, not well. We're not at all. God's not at all of our thoughts Amen. in our nature. And, and you're going to give your only begotten son for these people? Don't you know that? That's why the angels have been so confused in heaven. <laughs> right? It says, it says that, that these are the things that the angels desire to look into. They've been looking at the Son of God in perfection for all of eternity. And then that there was some, some rumors before he created this world. Wait a minute. What's this? <laughs> well, this rumors of the eternal covenant. What are you talking about? And then, then it begins to be manifested. And then, and then he creates Adam made everything good, and then Adam messed up, and the angels were like, okay, well, that, that makes sense, okay? These, these people that, that, that are down on the earth, it makes sense that, that they messed up. But then, <laughs> they're in the garden when, when God said, I'm sending the seed of the woman to the first messianic prophecy uh, to pay the penalty for this. Those angels have been confused ever since. Because why? It doesn't make any sense that the Son of God would come and die for these people. These same people that, that we have. you got to send us down from heaven all the time to get these people out of messes because all they do is sin and all they ever do is mess up. And, they, and, and you're always having to send us down from heaven to fix their mistakes. 
there's a reason that the angels desire to look into these things because it doesn't make any sense and it shouldn't make any sense to them that the Son of God would voluntarily come to die for our sins and that the Father would be willing to have their fellowship severed for a brief period of time. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? It doesn't make any sense that that relationship would be severed for these people. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Why, did God, why was God willing to do that? Well, the amazing reality is He was willing to do it because of His love to you. Amen. Now, I'm, got, I'm, I'm glad that God loved the elect, but you don't need to think about the elect in such a broad sense that, yes, it's an innumerable host which no man can number out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. Yes, it says, for God so loved the world. But sometimes we condemn people for saying you need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Well, I want to tell you from John 3.16... You need to accept Jesus Christ as your yeah. personal Savior. Because he He's a personal Amen. Savior. Now, now that, that elect is such a large group that no man can count it. Uh, it's well into the billions, I believe. But I've heard preachers say it, and I, and I agree with it, that God would be just to choose nobody. He'd be choo just to choose one person. Right. But Jesus would have came into this world and died for your sins individually if there was one elect in heaven. Amen. So when you read this, it, it brings it home so much more to say, for God so loved David Matthew Watts. For God so loved me that he sent his only begotten son. Now, when you understand that, and when you know that, and when you have the privilege of hearing the gospel and having a born-again heart that that gospel can prick and can touch and can convict, now, when you believe it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we read the rest of the Gospel of John where... Not this verse in isolation, but the rest of the Gospel of John where it makes it abundantly clear, he that believeth hath everlasting life, is passed from death unto life, which were born, not of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. What a blessed assurance that this verse is to us that God loved me individually so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for me. The magnitude of that gospel. Now let's go to <clears throat> John chapter 15. John chapter 15. This is right in the middle of Jesus' uh, final sermon to the apostles in chapters 14 to 16 and then his prayer unto God in chapter 17. And he says here in John chapter 15, He's just finished talking about the, the vine and the branches. Verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. And sometimes, again, I, I'm hope, I hope that I'm just spurring your thoughts this evening so you can go back and meditate 
on these verses and meditate on the magnitude of God's love towards you. Okay? Uh, the half has never been told and it never will be told. The only thing I can do is just stir your thoughts. And I certainly hope that, that we can. But notice this. As the Father hath loved me. Wow. Amen. Right? Wow. As God has loved the Son, so I have loved you. Now, we're, I was going to wait and go to John chapter 17. Keep your finger there. Let's go ahead and go there. Okay? John chapter 17. And this is at the end of his prayer unto God, just about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, just about to go to the cross. And he's praying for the disciples. He's praying for those that you've given me out of the world. And he says here, beautiful, beautiful. You want something to meditate on? Spend some time in John chapter 17. Amen. But here at the conclusion of this, he says in verse 23 of John 17, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Now, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we have been in Christ from as long as there has been God. And and the magnitude of, of, of us being in Christ in that eternal sense... There is no way that we can comprehend it. Yeah. Because in our sin, it, it, he uses the language that he chose us before the world began. And, and in our mind, there came a point where we make a choice, right? There, there's, a, there's a definitive period of time that you make a choice. And that's how things uh, operate here on earth. But in eternity, in the Godhead, God has always loved us. It's an everlasting love. And the perfect love that God the Father has always had toward God the Son, He has always had that love toward us. That is just amazing. And I don't even think, I don't even think we're going to fully get it in heaven. Honestly. I mean, I understand that we'll know as we are known, and we're going we're gonna to know a whole lot more than we know. But I, I, I think if there, there's not going to reach, I'll put it like this, I, there's not going to reach a point in heaven where we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining in the sun, and then there, we're going to reach a point after 10,000, be like, you know what, I think I understand that God, God's love toward us. And you know what, uh, may, maybe the, the worship in the second 10,000 years isn't going to be quite as good. No, part of it is the the magnitude of that worship is marveling in that fact, right? How is it possible that the eternal God eternally loved finite creatures? Well, all I can tell you is that we have always been in Christ. And God has loved us in the same way that he's loved the Son of God, and it doesn't get any better than that. I'll tell you, it doesn't get any better than that, because if you think there's any possibility of outside of a brief period of time on the cross, but that was necessary for the payment of our sin, but there is no possibility that there is going to be a schism in the Godhead between God the Father and the Son of God. So the whole idea that you can lose your salvation, that God loves the whole world, there's just as much possibility of God denying one of his elect 
as him denying the Son of God. And we know that's not going to happen, right? No, of course not. I have loved them as thou hast loved me. Wow. Praise God, mind blown. Right? That's all you can say. Verse 24. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. And that's the whole purpose of predestination, right? God chose a people. He's always loved that people. He chose a people, and he put all of the provisions and the covenant of grace before the world began that they will be with me where I am. That's predestination. And he performed all the requirements so that could occur. That they, may be, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the world began. He loves us in the same way he loved Christ. And obviously God has perfectly loved. God the Father has perfectly loved the Son of God from before the world began. Okay, now let's go back to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so... I have, so now he connects the dots one, one further, right? God has always loved the Son in the same way he's loved you, and I have always loved you in the same way that God's loved you. Don't you love that perfect yes. unity in the Trinity and the way you just, all the, all the dots just keep getting connected and you keep going in that, in that cycle? Now, praise God for eternal salvation by grace alone and him choosing us when we have nothing to offer him. But now there are admonitions that, that to whom much is given, much is required. And if you have been given much, then much is required. And if you're going to serve God, and God is love, and God has shown this great love towards you and forgiven you of so much, then much has been entrusted to us. Right? So therefore, what's the commandment? Because God has loved you with this great magnitude of love, then you need to show that same love toward others. Uh, I read this book. It's still on my shelf. I read it in college back when David Platt was, was really hip. And uh, he had, uh, he's written a lot more other books since then. But, and I really enjoyed the book. It's called Radical. Radical. Uh, now, he's going to get you to have faith in Christ, accept Christ, and all that stuff. But I hope that you uh, are, are well-versed in the Word of God enough that you can read other things and glean right. blessings from them and say, you know what, I know that's not right, but that's a really good point right yeah. there. You can yeah. glean things from that. But anyway, his whole point in that book, though, was to say God's love toward you is so radical that your love toward others, therefore, should be just as radical. I mean, it should, it should raise eyebrows. You know, because it raises eyebrows that God would love us, right? It doesn't make sense that God would love us. And, and our love should be exhibited in such a magnitude, uh, uh, free, gracious way that it should not make sense to the world. Amen. God's love toward us is so radical that our expression of God's love to others should appear radical to others. Amen. Even to other Christians. Even to other believers. 
Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He talks a little bit earlier in the chapter, abide in me and I in you. If you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. If you walk closely with the Lord and you love God with all of your heart and with all your soul and all your mind, which is the grace commandment, if you're loving God like that and walking closely with God like that, well, what, what are you inevitably going to do? Well, clearly you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, right? right? That's the second commandment. If you're abiding in Jesus Christ and you're born again by the Spirit of God, the first expression of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 5 is love, right? It's charity. So love is just going to ooze out of you. It's just going to come out naturally. Why? Because we are abiding in Christ who is love. You see? These things have I spoken unto you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full. Now charity, New Testament charity, agape love, self-sacrificial giving of oneself for the benefit of another without the thought of return, self-sacrificial love. The world would see that and, and look at everything that you give up. Self-sacrificing love of necessity, you have to be injured. You have to give something up for the benefit of someone else. And the world only sees what you give up. And there's no way that the, the greatest happiness that you can have in your life is by you voluntarily choosing to give everything up all the time. Like that, that doesn't make any sense. How is it possible that you can have joy and happiness by you always choosing to put yourself in the bottom of the rung? That doesn't make any sense to the world, does it? Why? Because what's the world characterized by? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But the Christian life, where you sacrificially love other people, you put others' needs ahead of your own, and you, you choose to suffer so other people can have it better, he says, I'm writing these things unto you. And this is true of the Word of God in, in general. It's certainly true of the Gospel of John in general. But of these specific admonitions where he says, if you follow my commandments by abiding in my love and loving other people the same way I love you, these things I write unto you, that your joy may be full. What you will find is that your greatest joy will be in that self-sacrificial love Amen. of elevating other people. You see? Yes. Your greatest joy will be in love. So it's not just that, oh, man, I know he's my brother in Christ, and, man, i got to grip my teeth, and, man, i got to love him today. <laughs> and sometimes you need to just do the right thing, right? I mean, not everybody's lovable all the time. Sometimes you do have to grit your teeth and love people. If you do that, do that long enough, Hopefully the Holy Spirit will get, get a hold of you and you'll have a better, better perspective in the, in the end than you did in the beginning. But you loving other people is not you gritting your teeth all the time. Right. No, you loving other people the way Christ loves you is your greatest joy. That is how your joy is going to be full here in this world. It's not going to be full by you living for yourself. You want to see the end result of all that? Go read Ecclesiastes. Ask Solomon how that turned out for him. <laughs> he said, it's vanity and vexation of spirit. I, 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 
I took of everything this world had to offer. And he's absolutely miserable. Why? Because all he did was indulge self. Well, if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Christ, then, and you love other people in the manner that you ought to, You know, I just had this thought that Christ physically was suffering on the cross in a natural way. And yes, yes, God the Father removed fellowship from him for a period of time. But even in the midst of that suffering, do you want to know what he really was focused on in the midst of that suffering? It says the joy that was set before him. Now, he was suffering physically, wasn't he? But he was living in joy on the cross. Why? Because he saw the suffering as worth it. He saw the end result of his exhibition of love in that moment as worth it. And yes, the, the the cross is a gruesome scene. But there, Christ was doing that in joy for the joy that was set before him of you being in heaven with him at the end of time. So therefore, if Christ endured that suffering in joy so that someone else can be benefited in the future, when we are following Christ's example, we follow the same pattern, right? We can have joy in the midst of suffering. Why? Because of it's elevating someone else. Amen. It's blessing someone else. Even if I have to suffer physical pain in the moment. Even if I have to be inconvenienced for a period of time. It's for the joy that was set before. Your greatest joy in life will be in putting others' needs ahead of your own. Why is that the case? Because that's what Christ did. That's right. Right? That's what Christ did. Verse 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. I mean, that's the standard. That's the bar. Lord, please forgive us every day. (laughs) Our standard is to love others as radically as Christ has loved us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Now, in an eternal sense, we're always the friend of God. But sometimes, when your friends don't act right, you've got to remove fellowship for a period of time. But do you think that Christ is ever going to be exhibiting his friendship to you more boldly and more closely than when you were doing what he commanded you to do right here? Than laying down your life for your friends? That's when you're going to feel the presence of Jesus Christ the closest is when you're following his pattern. And then he summarizes that in verse 17. These things I command you, that you love one another. Okay, now let's back up to John chapter 13. And before we get down a little bit later in the chapter, I want to read in verse 1. And this is a, a, a short little phrase right here that is very oftentimes, and I do it myself, oftentimes just quickly overlooked because it's, it's, it's dealing with the Last Supper and it's dealing with the feet washing and dealing, dealing with Judas Iscariot. 
But it says here in John chapter 13 and verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, <clears throat> having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. What beautiful language, right? And notice, having loved his own, which were in the world. That gives a little bit more context to God to love the world, right? Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. You know, uh, it, it tells us in um, it tells us in First John that you don't just need to love in in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And I'm thankful that God, that Jesus Christ, professed His love to us before the world began in the covenant of redemption. And understand, God can't lie, God can't fail. There was no possibility of ever failing, okay? But it wasn't good enough for Jesus to just make a covenant before the world began, okay? It wasn't just good enough for him to give his word, even though his word cannot fail. And now, this moment that all of eternity had been building towards... I love this, this brief little reminder that, you know what, those people that, he, that he's loved for all of eternity, I'm going all the way to the finish line. Amen. I'm not going to throw in the towel of the Garden of Gethsemane where he was sweating uh, great drops of sweat, almost like blood. I, I'm not going to get to the finish line and then throw in the towel. Those that I love forever, those that I loved in eternity, I'm going to love them unto the end. I'm not going to throw in the towel right before the work of redemption that was necessary to save them from their sins. Okay, John chapter 13 and in verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. That's the bar. That's the standard. Okay? That is the radical standard that we are called to. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now, we are called to love our enemies. We need to display the love of Christ to the best of our ability to those who despitefully use us, hate us and we need to be kind and loving to them to the best of our ability but we are not identified as the disciples of Christ by the way that we love the world and the unregenerate you will be identified as the disciples of Christ if you have love one to another now that's why the Apostle John goes on further to say in 1 John that by this we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We love the brethren. And I, I didn't have time to look up these quotes, but I, but I have them saved. Um, there, are, there are quite a few testimonies of governmental leaders that sent people to in, investigate this new sect called Christians and give a report of them. And we are the original Baptist church. Yeah. So you need to understand that this is our testimony. This is our history. 
But one of the things that really stand out in those quotes, and again, you just have to think, and I don't know the eternal state of these people, but regardless, they had a very pagan mindset and a very worldly mindset. And one of the things that, that stood out in those testimonies of the people that were called to investigate this and the people that gave a report back to a governor or a Caesar or whoever it was, one of the things that stood out in those testimonies was the way that they loved one another. And it didn't make, it, it, the way that they talked together and the way they told one another that they loved one another, the world viewed that in such a way that, you know, it's almost like they have an inappropriate relationship going on. You know, think about some of the, the love that Jonathan and David had in the Old Testament, right? And their, their souls were knit together. And when Jonathan died, David said, your, your love was even more faithful than the love of women. Now, they didn't have an inappropriate relationship. What he was saying there was, is, you know what? There's some women that are hot and cold. There's some, there's some times that uh, I have not been loved by females to the, the purity and the integrity of the, of the continued faithfulness that has never wavered of the way that you loved me. And you look at David and, the, and Jonathan in the Old Testament, you know, and it, it's, a, it's a little intimate, right? I mean, it's a little odd. But what that was was pure love. Right. It was purity. And, and, you know, that's the kind of love that we should have one to another that certainly people in the world, but even people in other churches, I mean, that's, that's, that should be the testimony of the primitive Baptist church is a purity of love that you can't find anywhere else. Amen. Lord forbid, which unfortunately many times has been the testimony of the primitive Baptist church, that we bicker all the time and we fight and we fuss. Our testimony should be love. Amen. And, and that kind of love should even stand out in the Christian marketplace. That's right. Even more so than some of these other denominations. That, I mean, they, they believe in Jesus and they, they serve the Lord to, to the knowledge that they have. But there is an intimacy of love that we have church and in the primitive baptist church why because i believe we are the closest representation of the original church and don't you know that jesus is the happiest with true worship in spirit and in truth but the way that we love one another should even stand out to other christians that that love the lord and they go to church and you know that's the kind of light of the world that people want to flock to. Yeah. Right? That, that should be the gravitating uh, attraction. The gravitating attraction for the Lord's church should be the way that we love one another. The gravitating attraction for the Lord's church, it's not a praise band. It's not softball teams. It's not hot dog cookouts. It's not all these things. What should be the gravitating attraction? which should be the gravitating attraction for people to come into the church it should be the love of Christ flowing breast to breast and that's close isn't it well, we kind of use that language sometimes you know oh it was flowing from breast to breast that's the kind of intimacy and love 
I mean, think about John. John's the one who laid on the bosom of the Son of God. He said, you need to have that kind of intimacy of love with Jesus. It, it should be because of the great love wherewith he had loved us, we should exhibit that same great love toward each other in the church. May God bless us to have that testimony that it would be attractive to other people. That even when they, you know, they're hopping around and they go to this church and they go to this church and we're just looking around, there should be something about the atmosphere of love in the Primitive Baptist Church that makes them stick. Amen. Before they understand, now they may not get around to hearing about the reason why we love one another until either a sit-down conversation or a later sermon. Because we don't preach on this every, every single Sunday. But there should be something that is attractive to them because of the way we love one another that it, the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit feels different when I, when I walk in this building. And the reason why is because of love. Amen. It's because of love. Because God is love. Amen. And let's do our best to honor the Lord by honoring His name and love one another as He has loved us. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.